10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Suffolk, this is The Late Show with Libby Isaac. Good evening and welcome. I am Libby Isaac and it's Tuesday the 16th of November. Tonight we are talking lesson observations and the recording of teaching and learning in your own school setting. What are the best practices? What can the barriers be? What is the research? I hope you sat comfortably and have got your questions ready for Dr Matthew O'Leary. Live from Suffolk. This is The Late Show with Libby Isaac on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Good evening everybody and um, I hope you had a fantastic week and as you heard in my introduction then tonight we have got the wonderful Dr Matthew O'Leary joining us this evening to discuss classroom observation and the effectiveness of this within teaching and learning. So just a little bit there, okay, quite a huge topic. My question to you is what do you do in your school? Are you happy with your system? Are the staff happy? Does it have an impact? There seems to be a standard approach in a lot of schools where someone in that school hierarchy is tasked with a role related to quality assurance. They observe, they assess against a set of standards and protocols, they feedback that is then acted upon by the teacher to consequently improve that learning. There are so many questions with this that absolutely I want to explore this evening. Do you have organised set observations? Do you now rely on unannounced learning walks? What do staff do with the feedback? How do they act upon that feedback? How much of it is used within performance management? What happens if there's bias within that feedback? Does it have a direct impact on the toxic environment if it's not right? Absolutely. It would be so good to hear your thoughts on this this evening and, you know, whether you are happy with your system as well. What we're going to do is we are going to go to the news and when we come back, we're going to carry on this wonderful conversation and start thinking about some of the questions that we're going to be asking Matthew. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. This is your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. A new documentary will follow primary and secondary schools in Nepal and Scotland as they join forces to learn from each other and tackle climate change. Interfilm Scotland and Chapromo Studios in Nepal will film the documentary which will focus on the experiences which each have had of climate change using an interdisciplinary approach. Students are conducting research by testing air and water pollution, CO2 levels, temperature and rainfall, as well as undertaking litter analysis and assessing biodiversity. 
Acting Principal Teacher at Stobhill Primary in Midlothian, Donna Hanley said, the project enabled pupils to learn about climate change in a real life context. She said, with COP26, it is imperative that we make use of the Connecting the Climate Challenge programme and maintain this momentum to build on people's understanding and motivation to protect our planet for our future generations. Retired teacher Carolyn Coster from Bradford is taking her dog, who has been assessed by the charity Pets as Therapy, into schools to help children with their reading. The head teacher of Mepershall Academy said it has been amazing having Mrs Coster and Duke into school. She said, Lots of children struggle with reading. It's very difficult for them to read in front of people, but for some reason when they read to the dog, all that stress is taken away from them and it really supports them with their learning. Mrs Coster lost her hands and feet after Covid led to sepsis in March 2020. This has been your daily education news briefing. Fantastic. And thank you, as always, for our wonderful news team there. So as I um, addressed in the opening, um, we've got Matthew O'Leary, who is going to be ringing into the show today. And we're going to be talking about lesson observations. Um, we're going to talk about the research behind it. We're going to be talking about some of the um, practices out there, some of the models out there. We're going to be talking about the language, what teaching and learning means. We've got so many, well, I've got so many questions for Matthew himself. Um, and this is quite, you know, it's quite a big topic for me because I within my role within the trust that I work in I'm I'm the person who does teaching and learning and I've been doing it for quite a long time um, and when I was the head of school as well that was absolutely one of one of the things that that drove me that was you know my passion my my strength so to speak um, so you know, again, quite selfishly, it's quite nice to have an expert on to talk and to pick their brain and to find out all the research there, um, because I think it directly helps my own practice. Um, so I've got a huge amount of questions lined up for him. But if you absolutely have any questions that you want to ask him throughout the show, please, please, please call in, because it makes for such a wonderful live part of the show if you're feeling brave enough for it. You also get a Teachers Talk Radio mug. I mean, what is better on your Tuesday evening right there? So this evening, we are absolutely, um, thank you, Emily. Yes, please ask, ask away, because it's definitely a topic that we, we're, we're very, uh, there's so much out there to ask, isn't there? Um, so we've got Matthew this evening, we're discussing lesson observations. There's a huge amount on Twitter obviously about it i mean i saw a thread last week about um teachers discussing the positives and perhaps the negatives of the what went well and the either better if feedback um and it, it just the thread went on and on and on and on and i think it just really highlights that lesson observation is an absolute huge topic but it's incredibly important to absolutely every teacher out there we thrive on feedback 
we develop on feedback. It absolutely helps us feel valued. Um, it helps us feel appreciated. It helps us develop professionally. So we are talking everything to do with lesson observation today. And we're going to pack it in as much as we can with Matt O'Leary, who I know has just entered the studio right now. So that's an absolutely brilliant place to be. Um, there's there's so much research out there for it as well. And one of the things that I've I've sort of been looking at, and I know that the Teachers Development Trust, if you follow any of their research, etc., they've got quite a lot on it as well. And it's it's where perhaps you switch the teacher teaching well to the students. And they 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 say that if you switch that part, it really creates a really interesting conversation. And isn't that the point of having an observation in the first place? Is the dialogue that it triggers. Um, and if anybody does this in their school currently, please, 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 um, you know, text in, tell me your experience about it. Because I think for really confident, you know, or a teacher who's really confident and a real strong performing class, that's still a, an incredibly beneficial way to to look at. Um, sort of lesson observation within a school. Um, these are just some theories behind it anyway, so definitely going to be talking to Matthew about it. Um, there's also, for me, observations, no matter how normal it is within your school, how supportive your school is, you know, I think teachers still want to thrive within that time. Um, you know, you want to be the best that you can be. You want to highlight what, what you can do, what your students have been doing. I, When I get observed, I want to show off the students because I'm proud of them. Um, you know, they've got a lot, a lot, a lot to show that person, a lot to talk about. Um, and it absolutely gives me butterflies still. I remember asking um, when I was training to be a teacher, asking my mentor at the time, oh my God, when do you stop feeling nervous about having a, a lesson observation? And this is a very experienced teacher at the time she was coming up to retirement. And at the time she was an uh, advanced skills teacher. I don't know if people remember them. Um, but she said, never, you never stop feeling nervous. Like perhaps the nerves turn into more like butterflies, but that's really an, a really good thing because it shows that you care. And I think when I get those butterflies, it just it just reiterates the high expectations that I have on myself. And it makes it makes me realize that, you know, I, I still want this. I, I, I want to be the best teacher that I can be. I want to improve as much as I can be. And just having an opportunity to talk about my lesson and, you know, like how I can make it better or some ideas to bounce that off with somebody who, you know, has responsibility of that. I think that that's still an incredibly powerful part of teaching. So today, obviously, we're going to be talking to Matthew O'Leary. And in a minute, I'm going to stop talking. Um, Matthew, if you're listening, if you call in now, that'd be great. And I'll get you on hold and then we can bring you into the conversation. What are your good, bad and ugly experiences when it comes to a lesson observation. I want to know what they are. And Lucy just set the scene beautifully for me with the show before, just using that terminology as well. So what, what are some of those experiences that you have got? Also on the Twitter feed, Nathan, who's one of the TT hosts, um, helped with this as well. And he put out there, um, when, when do you stop an observation being a performance? Because even if you've got an unannounced learning walk coming in I mean I do this I I I don't perform is it bad that I do that I don't know but I do I do want to highlight certain things and I thrive off the fact that they're in the room perhaps even if it's for two minutes 
So when does it stop being a performance? But also, um, can we remember, and I know the criteria is changed, we're going to be talking to Matt about that in a minute as well, but can you remember being told to have your Ofsted ready lesson? Um, and I, I heard on the on the Twitter feed that, you know, some people had prepared like resources in the cupboard, like packs of pens ready to go. Certainly when I was doing my teaching um, at a school, um, there was a, a notorious PE teacher, a wonderful PE teacher, an absolutely fantastic, you know, highly effective every single day PE teacher. Um, and he he always spoke about getting his hurdle lesson out when Ofsted came. Um, and now, obviously, you know, getting your hurdle lesson out in the middle of the winter, I mean, it just doesn't work with a sequence of learning. I think mine, because I'm a history teacher, was always King John. And I had all their resources in a filing cabinet in the cupboard. Um, poor students, like we might have been in the middle of teaching the plague, for goodness sake, or, you know, doing Henry VIII or something like that. And then I crack out King John in the middle of that um, just because, you know, everybody quite liked that. And it was a guaranteed um, way to highlight their questioning, way to highlight my resources, my think, pair, share, etc. Um, so hallelujah that Ofsted have changed that part of things, I think, even though there must be some fantastic stories out there for it. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce Matt and we're going to ask him our questions. Hello, Matt, can you hear me? I can, Libby. Yeah, thanks for having me. Not a problem. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on. Can you hear me okay? Yep, I can hear you absolutely fine. Brilliant. Um, how are you feeling? Because uh, um, you, you haven't been very well recently. I know. I'm probably, I'd say I'm probably about 80% now. It's, uh, it's, it's the kind of, uh, I'm hoping it's not long COVID, but it's been two months now. It just seems to be dragging on a bit. Um, I'm, I, I'm remaining optimistic. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that I might be getting towards the, uh, the end of it now because uh, I've just got a little bit of a cold still lingering. Okay. And I've probably got about 75% of my smell and taste back. Oh, well, that's really good to hear. I will remain opportunistic for you as well. <laughs> obviously, it's uh, definitely something that is not nice at all. Um, so we are absolutely excited to have you on the show this evening. And I know that we've got loads and loads of people who want to ask their questions. Um, obviously, I've got a lot of questions. And if I'm not asking the right questions or it triggers for any of our live listeners to want to ask another question, please text in, put it in the chat, and I'll, I'll stop my conversation and I will make sure that Matt can help answer those but also if you're feeling brave ring in live because we love a live caller and you win a mug okay so Matt can you just tell us a little bit about your background um you know where you came from um you know why why is why is your passion about observations and what you're doing now yeah sure yeah um originally I, I trained as a, a secondary school teacher uh, back in the the early 90s I, I um I trained as a as as a modern foreign language uh, teacher and English as a second language teacher. Yeah. Uh, then um, I I went to work abroad in, in Mexico for four years. I, I was working for the British Council teaching English as a as a foreign language. Um, I think it was there in the mid nineties that I, I first became interested in, in observation. And then when I came back to the UK, I ended up doing a um, an MA at um, at King's King's College London and. The topic that I chose for my dissertation, we might get a chance to talk about this in, in, at some point during this evening, was a, a very innovative model of, of observation, which I'd just really been working with called unseen observation. Yeah. And yeah. Um, 
it was my first kind of management job working in further education that really sort of acted as a, as a catalyst for what something that I look back on now and I've been doing for the last 20 years when I one of the responsibilities I had as being head of department was I had to go around and observe people teaching in different subject areas um, every so often and 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 predictably given this was I'm going back to the late 1990s uh, a very sort of assessment based model uh, graded uh, model of observation and I remember being in an, an evening class one time observing this um really experienced English literature teacher and I remember this I had it was it was a sort of light bulb moment I, I remember having to fill out this form thinking what on earth am I doing here this <laughs> is such this is this is such a farcical situation here I have this incredibly intelligent passionate very experienced uh, um, teacher with you know three decades worth of experience and I'm I'm, I'm having to make a judgment a kind of a, a, an isolated um, snapshot judgment based yeah. upon his expertise and I, I remember leaving that because it was an evening class I remember the the following morning went straight into my um, uh, line manager's office who was the the dean of the, uh, the, the the faculty I was in and I said listen I can't do this particular role anymore because I disagree with it and yeah. um, we had quite a heated discussion um, but um, that was really a kind of turning point for me then becoming interested in in uh, pursuing that as a research topic and really as I said spending kind of the best part of two decades of my life looking at it mm. well I, I I'm fascinated by it and actually it's it's definitely something that I I, I feel like it's such a big responsibility and such an honor to go into you know other practitioners classrooms mm. and I've 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 got to give that feedback so I just want to get it absolutely right or right for the context that I'm working in for example and um obviously I like like your book is absolutely brilliant for anybody out there who has any responsibility when it comes to teaching and learning or if you're just if you're teacher and you're having somebody come into your classroom as well and um i know that ross mcgill is a big fan and he um he he quite rightly said that if anybody has this role if anybody has got anything to do with teaching and learning within their their school role that you absolutely should read your book because it is completely filled with absolutely everything that you know up to date <laughs> where we're at when it comes to observation. So I'm so pleased to have you on this evening. Um, Emma, Williams is, um, sorry, Emma Williams has just texted in and she said, what does Matt think about short drop-ins? Oh, okay. Um, we are definitely <laughs> going to be talking about this, Emma. Um, yes. I think, Emma, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put your question on hold because it's part of, part of my questions as well. Um, it's definitely something that we're going to be talking about this evening. So please, please, please listen and let's absolutely... Um, come back to that as well in about 10 minutes if that's okay thank you excellent great, so what I'd, great question what I'd, yeah amazing question um what i'd quite like to do is just start especially if we've got any ect listeners or anybody who needs to know about some of the changes so obviously there's been some big changes in education policy for classroom observation um over mm. the, the last sort of five six seven years can you just summarize some of those for us so that we were all on the same page when we're talking about lesson observation this evening yeah sure libby uh, in fact I, i'm going to just re rewind the uh, the clock a bit further back and take us back to 2010 because Absolutely. i think for me 
for me, that's that's probably one of the most significant um, uh, starting points in terms of key milestones for impact on observation. Um, and by that, I'm referring to the government white paper, the importance of teaching, uh, mm-hmm. which was published at the time. That was a that was a turning point, which actually connects into that very first question about drop-ins, because I'm. It, by pure coincidence, I happened to be writing a paper about learning walks or drop-ins or walkthroughs, whatever term people uh, use to, to refer to them, uh, that's looking at the history and the, the sort of rationale for them and the pros and cons, etc. And you can actually trace it back to this key turning point of 2010 in England, that is, because I'm, it's important to, to, to acknowledge that they have a, a longer history in some other countries and they're known by other terms in other countries. Um, but in England, the turning point was the, um, the importance of teaching white paper, which actually took away um, this long established practice of um, the maximum of three hours um, being the, the limit for which teachers could be observed uh, for per- performance management purposes um, yeah. uh, in any, any given school year. And um, it was Michael Gove who was the um, education secretary at the time, and, and he was responsible, you know, for for for, um, for pushing that through in, in in that particular white paper. And one of the things which they don't identified, and it was in, and this is a really political point, which I'm sure we'll get into in a bit more <laughs> detail later on, is about the relationship between the Department for Education and Ofsted. Um, mm-hmm. And at the time, that they, they the Department for Education was was um, very um, forcibly. Um, uh, pushing Ofsted to um, uh, to follow an agenda whereby there was a greater um, level of of uh, observations undertaken as part of it inspections, uh, but also um, within uh, the, the the working environments within schools. And um, one of the the key policy changes within the white paper was was the removal of that three hour limit, which then essentially meant that. Uh, head teachers and, and, and senior leaders within schools and, and senior managers with, within colleges as well uh, could go in and observe um, classes at any point uh, for um, however long uh, they deemed necessary. And although we've we've had um, uh, some of the large professional bodies um, like the National Education Union, for example, putting mm-hmm. together policy statements on this, um, they're only they're they're only really advisory pro- protocol in the sense that the, the these um these principles are still written into uh, that white paper and still really govern um, this particular practice within schools. So um so that was the turning point, and it also coincided with um uh, shortly after this, um, Ofsted changed its policy uh, in um in moving to no notice inspections. Uh, and the, the reason why this is so, so significant is, is because, and this is, is certainly no coincidence at all, but it really led to the emergence of what we know, know now as learning walks, short drop-ins, because the, the thinking behind this was, and I think like you, you, you already mentioned the term in your, your introduction there about people being Ofsted ready uh, yeah. producing, uh, you know, lessons and, and, you know, typically referred to in the literature as showcase lessons um, that they they could just kind of pull out in order to impress uh, whether it be an external or an internal visitor. Um, but the the significance of, of this in relation to Ofsted was that, um, of course, with the move to no-notice inspections, that meant that um, 
the, that that uh, ability to prepare well in advance was removed. And so this also led to a knock-on effect within schools and colleges um, where senior leadership and senior management within organisations did what they typically tend to do in these situations is to try and replicate the situation that staff would find themselves in were they observed, you know, were they to get the call tomorrow and the, the, the Ofsted team were, were, were coming in the following day. So, um, so that really kind of gives a, a bit of an insight into the, um, some of the, the, the policy changes. But I suppose the other key policy change um, to refer to uh, is um, we go back to 2014 and, and Ofsted's decision to uh, remove uh, the grading of individual lesson observations from their inspection process. And yeah. interestingly, I, I was um, I was involved in those discussions at the time with uh, Mike Clanningbowl, who was Ofsted's di- um, national director. Uh, a lot of respect for Mike, a very very approachable, very pragmatic person. Um, I remember I was working at the University of Wolverhampton at the time, and we had a couple of meetings where we talked through um, his thinking and, and, and you know and, and what he was what he was interested in doing. And I think it's fair to say that that was very well received at the time. Um, it was a very popular decision. Um, but I remember one of the meetings that we had, we talked about, um, I said to Mike, I said, do, you, you do realise that a, a change in policy doesn't necessarily equate to a change in practice. He said, what do you mean by that? I said, well, we can get rid of grading. Uh, we can change the language and we can talk about the focus being developmental instead of uh, judgmental. But yeah. actually... The more deep, the deeper issue here is to do with mindsets and it's to do with established practice. And this is something Absolutely. which realistically, Libby, we're still dealing with now mm-hmm. where there are some institutions where that 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 um, that shift away from that kind of judgmental, um, often punitive uh, approach um, has still proved more stubborn than than than, than in, in other places. So um, I think that there've been there've been kind of uh, both pros and cons over over the last uh, ten years. I think one of the things is that we've seen we've certainly seen a, a growth in research, a wider debate about observation policy and practice, institutionally, nationally, internationally, and that's really gathered momentum. And I think that's been quite instrumental in bringing about significant change. Um, if you like, a sort of um, almost like a kind of grassroots movement there. And, uh, and I think there have been some, some important shifts in, in the thinking and practice of, of people in the profession. And, you know, I, I spend a lot of my, my time uh, working and, and communicating with staff in colleges, schools, universities on a daily basis. And I have witnessed um, both gradual and sudden changes in, in how um, some people across education think about, talk about and, and engage with observation. Um, but at the same time, one of the things which I and I do I, I do say, say this, I think, in the introduction of my my, my the second edition of my, 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 my book. And that is that um, that despite the, some of those policy developments, um, I think it's equally um, fair to say that for others or for a significant percentage of people within the profession, neither their thinking nor their practice has changed much. And I think that applies on a, both a systemic as well as an individual level. And for me, if you wanted to just summarize it um, very briefly as being the, the, the clearest um, indicator of that is this still this over-reliance on using observation 
as a tool of, of assessment, as a tool of managerialist accountability. And and how it directly like takes up a lot of time when it comes to performance management conversation as well. Um, mm. So I'll, I'll I'll come on to that with a question as well. I just I, it's just absolutely fascinating listening to you because this got got you for an hour and a half. Let's let's carry this on. <laughs> um, so my my question then on top of that is, what's your opinion on some of the changes in particular now that the emphasis is on a curriculum unit rather than an isolated lesson? Um, and I think obviously you've you've spoken a little bit about the grading system that's shifted as well. So what's what's your opinion on those those two things? Well, I think the the first um, issue about the the shift in emphasis to looking at a curriculum unit rather than an isolated lesson, I think it's a really positive move mm. because for me that 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 signals. Um, well, there's two things that jump to my spring out of me yeah, in relation to that. The first is it signals a move away from individualizing and pathologizing the observation process, which um, has been a massive um, uh, problem for for a number of years, um, particularly within within the English education system, about the the way in which um, observations have have been conflated in many instances with with an with a wider appraisal of of the, the 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 capabilities and the competence of individual teachers and and so any any move away from from that particular um approach and seeing teaching and learning as as a much bigger um more complex and holistic uh process uh as opposed to reducing it down to these isolated episodic events i think that, that mm. that's that's a very welcome move i think it it's also well, to... go on. yeah sorry you, you go ahead no sorry i, th- I think with with the um with the curriculum unit and the, the shift within looking you know the deep dives for example where where it's not just you're not just looking at the teacher obviously you're mm. really focused on the students you're looking at the progress the books and everything i think as as a teacher my, myself for me the best thing about that is that it actually you get to show off your middle leaders, your, your heads of department, mm. you know, the ones that actually put everything in place when it when it comes to that element of teaching rather than just sitting with, with the members of SLT that, that sort of line manage it. So it gives the, the middle leaders real, you know, ownership over what they do and a chance to talk talk about it to the people that are going to give them that overall judgment. And I, I think that's that's a real welcome part of the change for it as well. I think I think you're absolutely right because um, it, it all it also um, reflects the kind of reality of of of, of day to day working in 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 schools and colleges in the sense that um, by, by by taking a step back from the individual lesson and looking at curriculum units, mm. one of the other advantages of that is you're um, you're acknowledging that there are um, multiple data sets that you need to um, you need to include in any uh, um, assessment of, of, of a particular subject area. And so like the example you've just given, looking at books, uh, looking at um, you know, associated documentation like schemes of work, uh, plans, resources, et cetera. I mean, these are, all, these are all real things that teachers do and have to engage with on a daily basis, as well as the actual process of teaching uh, and um, and you know, I think anything, any, any approach where we're we're trying to harness um, 
uh, a kind of multi-dimensional um, uh, set of data is something which is is likely to provide us with a a, a much more rounded understanding of what it is we're trying to look at as opposed to just just focusing on uh individual lessons which can seem completely arbitrary and and out of context and when you throw into the mix there as well the fact that they're very high stakes particularly in the context of an inspection um and and how that distorts or can distort the whole um teaching and learning um interaction that, that typically occurs in classrooms. I think that's a really, really important move. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. Um, Leanne has texted in and said, I heard of a school where in the interview lesson, the only person in the room was the TA. I guess with observations, does it depend on how much SLT trusts their staff? Um, I've never experienced that one before, Leanne. Um, I, I, I suppose you're right, Leanne. It just massively depends on um no you knew neither um it just depends on on that ta i suppose um and what what they were wanting to get out of that appointment um my last lesson observation three three people crikey and uh, what in the room at the same time leanne because i've i've done it before where yep okay i've done it before where you have three individuals but you go in at different points just you know so so you're all on the same same page with it as well that that's a lot of people in one room that must have been quite daunting for you um so she said head deputy and the and the chair of governors crikey um i hope did you get the job or um that's that's a lot of pressure in one room isn't it matt it is. I mean, I, well done, I guess yeah. it ultimately, de- it, de- it depends what the purpose is, isn't it, really, of, of the observation? Because there are some models yeah. of, of observation, which, of course, um, that's the norm for there to be multiple people in there. So if you're looking at a, at a, at a model like lesson study, for example, um, you know, it, it, it works on a team, uh, um, team, team dynamic um, or teaching triangles, you know, where, where typically, as the name would suggest, you're in a three um, or even a four or five, and um, and there's a there's a there's a heavy emphasis on the collaboration there. So collaboration in terms of planning a lesson, um, uh, the delivery of the lesson is 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 alternated. So you have people. Let's say if you've got three people within a triangle, uh, you know the first teacher they'll deliver the first session, and then maybe a few weeks later, second teacher they'll do the second second uh, lesson. And so there's a you know it, it's a it's ultimately kind of um, underpinned by what the what the purpose of the the, the observation yeah. is. So that that was actually brilliantly um, uh, placed because that's the next question. So what are some of the main models of classroom observation? And I think um, it'll be really good for anybody that's got a responsibility within their school or for any teachers out there just knowing what some of these different models are because we all get caught up in our own school settings and obviously the point is that you find the correct model to fit your context within the school um but i've i've come across um the one that you were just talking about there matt the triad system where you have um three members of staff and then you know you do your peer-on-peer observation and support and it, it works through that way can you just take us through some of the other models of observations you get within a a school setting and perhaps we can talk through some of the positives and the barriers for each one yeah sure um i think the first thing i would say is that the 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 dominant model continues to be and what what i refer to as an assessment based model uh, of observation and um and that can have a number of different purposes it could be 
uh, as part of the annual performance management exercise. Um, it could be that um, you know, it could be that you start a new job as a probation. There could be a probationary period. Um, uh, equally, um, it could be that uh, you're implementing a new, um, perhaps a new, a, a new, a new practice, um, a new approach, or, or equally. Um, uh, new content to a particular curriculum area, and you want to you want you want to assess uh, the, the 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 sort of the the progress to date within within that particular uh, focus. Um, but what what all of those have in common is is is, is that they're they're kind of they're driven by uh, assessment criteria, and um, you know I mean one of the things which I've, I've certainly argued over the last decade is is this for me is is, is the single most significant barrier uh, to engaging with observation in, in a in a meaningful way. So when people talk about observation being a developmental tool, mm-hmm. I think assessment is assessment is 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 the um, is the biggest barrier to um, people engaging with it as as an assess as um, a developmental tool. Uh, so so that go, you know that what goes with that is 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 the whole. Not just the, the the kind of the the thinking and the purpose, but the whole language and discourse associated with it. So, for example, feedback. Feedback is the term that we associate in the domain of assessment. Now, um, if you flip that on its head and, and say you look at um, observation through a very different lens, because it's really important to understand that actually um, Part of this is to do with um, cultural norms. It's to do with for historical reasons that we've become uh, so um, obsessed and, and just dependent on using observation as, as a, a tool of assessment. Um, and there's nothing stopping us <laughs> other than, you know, other than our own kind of imaginations and our own um, interest and commitment. There's nothing stopping us from actually breaking down those ingrained mindsets and saying, do you know what? This 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 is a very limited way of, of of thinking and using observation. There are other ways. And one of the one of the 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 key things which I think I've argued certainly over the last five or six years is we we need to kind of make that shift, that conceptual shift away from thinking about observation as being a method of assessment and moving towards seeing it as as a a a tool of inquiry, a tool for exploring uh, yeah. classrooms, yeah. the relationship between teaching and learning, which is an incredibly messy kind of complex thing, you know, and there's so much that we don't know about teaching and learning and, and the relationship between them. Um, you know, I've, I've been, I've been teacher for, what is it now? I'm, I'm getting on to over 25 years and um, uh, it's, you know, I'm, I'm constantly learning, um, and p- particularly when 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 I'm involved in, in projects where the focus is, is is on is on the interaction between teachers and students, continuously um, learning new things about students as well as teachers. And I think um, one of the, the important things to realise when we're talking about um, models of, of of observation and, and the 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 purposes behind them, what is the key driver, regardless of of, of your approach if it's an, an assessment driven one or if it's pro- professional development driven one mm. what is what what unites those those different models of observation well i would argue that what they have in common despite their differences is they're both driven by a desire to want to improve the student learning experience to want to maximize 
students learning in the classroom and making it the very best experience it can be. And, and I think that's something which um, is really important to emphasize because once you identify common ground, then you're, you're at a point whereby you can start to have conversations with people who may be on an opposing side, but to try and reach some kind of common understanding as to how we can best maximize a particular uh, area of practice in order to move things forward. I absolutely agree with everything you're saying. I think um, I, I, it's really difficult to, well, I know so many, there we go, we've got people texting in so many schools that still base their models on the assessment-led model. That, And I, I mentioned it in, in the introduction as well. It's just that, that typical way that it's always been within a school and yes they're not using the grades anymore yes they're they've they've changed their language there there's more of an emphasis on feedback but ultimately there's not been a change in how that benefits the teaching and learning and, and mm. for for the staff and i think i think we need to we need to educate or get the messages out there and what these different models are and how that can massively benefit um the, mm. the students and the staff and the staff i think are really important because they're the ones that it will either have a really positive um, experience with lesson observations or a massively negative one. And I think that can shape you as a teacher. Um, so it's, it's really interesting to hear. So I've got I've got a few people on the text here. So Leanne said, do we also need book scrutinies? I wonder if pupil voice is a much better tool for checking knowledge. Um, I think perhaps both together, but such a push now for how much knowledge children retain, but still a push for evidence in the book. So what's what's your opinion on, on sort of the, the book scrutiny or, or the book look that I uh, I prefer to use? <laughs> yeah. What's your opinion of that? I mean, that? I, th I think books. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's like any 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 source of evidence that there, there are limitations to it. There, there. You know, don't get me wrong. There, there, there are benefits as well. Um, but in, in the, you know, in this situation, I, I I always kind of tend to think because of what I what I do and I spend a lot of my time doing research. It's about it's about finding the right methods in order to to answer the questions that you have, and. Um, Yes, um, but book scrutinies can make a contribution, but in isolation, they're, no, they're, they're, they're worthless. You know, I mean, they need to be put into a context. Um, ideally, you need to, you, you need to talk to the, the the pupils about them. You yeah. know, it's um, you know, because we all know that 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 pupils, well, not not just children, but adults, can co copy things down in a lesson into books, uh, and and that is 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 purely what's going on sometimes that something is being copied um so that that we know is not a is not an indicator of of, of, of learning um but um having a conversation engaging with with a kind of dialogue in some kind of dialogue whereby you're you're trying to um you're you're trying to unpick uh what it is they're doing and 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 um and what their understanding is of what it is they're looking at in in the class or have looked in 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 a class that they've you know previous class where they've written about it in one of their books, I think that's um you know it, it's about triangulating those methods. Yeah. That's really really important, uh, and realizing that actually it's a bit like a jigsaw puzzle in some ways when you start to mix different methods and piece together different sources of evidence. And I think um, whether or not you're looking at it from an inspector's point of view or a senior leader's point of view or a middle manager or a, a researcher. Um, part of the um, the skill of 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 um, having to manage multiple data sets is the piecing together of the jigsaw 
in, in a way that, 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 that you are able to see the bigger picture um, and, the, and the, the, the key messages that come through through, through that picture that, you, you, that reveals itself once you've pieced all of the, the separate pieces together. Yeah, I think if you can get a student as a teacher and get a student talking the target language or the key vocabulary for the lesson and, you know, talking and feeling pride in their work and showing off their book to somebody that's, that's you know, asking them about their learning, I think as a teacher, you're winning there because that's that's the point, isn't it? It's to get them, you know, mm. really excited about what they're doing. So I do still think there is a place for a book look. Um, I think it depends on how, like a, an observation, how that's, done within the school because you know yeah. if, if it's if it, if it's like a a real scrutinizing slt you know your presentation's not good you're you know you need mm. this and your marking policy then obviously it just causes quite a lot of toxic 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 language w- within a school yeah. but obviously because of the triangulation within a deep dive they there is a need for them but i think you need to take take the shift away from the scrutinizing of it and get get colleagues to learn from each other oh that student's book actually you know i can read their writing in that subject why why mm. aren't they doing that in my subject what what are they doing perhaps that they're winning or you know got a really good buy-in with that student that i'm not and then mm. you go and talk to that colleague which perhaps means that you know when you have that triad of observations when you've got your three key members of staff working together that's where those that dialogue and that communication come from and that perhaps that's mm. that's that's a nice approach for it i don't know um so i think let, let's go to emma's question that she put at the beginning and obviously it was one of my questions as well and I think um, a lot of schools um, don't do um, formalized booked in observations anymore and they've gone to this whole unannounced learning walk this is our culture this is our environment we've created open doors policy anybody in anybody out um, and it's you know it's because we get to see you know what's happening every single day um, our staff are really used to it etc so a lot of schools have gone to that um, no I've done quite a lot of research into that and obviously I've read read your book um and you make the point that sometimes you do still need a formal observation perhaps especially if you're if you're going back to that performance management conversation so it would just be really great to hear your opinion on the unannounced observations or the unannounced learning walk um sort of route and as Emma said how long should should people be in the classroom for mm. well I mean we know that that, that learning walks are typically a, a form of short classroom observations you know they, they're often carried out uh, by senior staff who visit a class for anything from five to 20 minutes um, and that the norm is for these visits to be unannounced um, with with um, with the Observation team typically visiting multiple classrooms across the the, the the school over the course of a day or a period of days. Yeah, and um, there are. I mean, the, this the, 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 one of the things about learning walks is it, um, the the practice differs quite considerably. So, but I think one of the one of the trends that started to emerge in recent years is this kind of thematic focus. Um, so, because I think when they first appeared, they were they were very unstructured. So you would have um, typically senior leaders just kind of going in and out of, of classes without a particular agenda, 
uh, without a particular focus. And, and, and so a very kind of loose um, exercise, but still has to be said, a, a kind of judgmental one, um, because, um, you know, the, 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 the norm for many learning walks is it's still driven by a set of assessment criteria, which by de definition, if you've got a, a set of assessment criteria, it means you're going into a classroom looking for certain things. Uh, and even before you've even even before you've paid attention to what it is you're looking at, um, and I think um, if if I was objective, if I'm trying to be objective about this, um, and mm -hmm. you know, see the pros pros and the cons of learning walks, I can understand the um, the rationale for senior leadership teams um, wanting to uh, get an understanding, get a feel uh, for. Um, let's say the quality or standards of, of teaching going on. Um, and, um, you know, they, may, they would probably argue that they're ultimately accountable for managing the quality of teaching and learning in their organisations. And so um, they need to have that authentic insight into what's going on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I mean, that seems a very logical uh, argument. Um, and, and another argument that is often put forward for uh, the use of learning walks is that they, um, they differ to tr traditional models of observation in, in the sense of, again, they kind of switch this or, or purport to switch this lens away from the individual to the collective. Um, because um, in theory, the, 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 the focus is meant to be on whole school improvement. Uh, and um, and so typically you'll hear um, uh, the, the learning walks policies talking about um, wanting to identify examples of good practice and share um, share these uh, across the uh, the school in order to, to to maximize the benefit. But then actually, when you and, and this is something I mentioned earlier, I've been I've been doing recently. I'm I'm I'm, I'm halfway through writing a paper on this. When you actually start to look at the practice, you realise that, um, and it's quite, it's quite interesting that it, I think it's almost unwittingly, the people who who who, enge who, en who engage as observers during learning walks, um, it's it's as though they can't stop themselves from making comments about individuals. Um, yeah. So you know when, you, when <laughs> you you'll typically hear them say things like, "Well, I saw one teacher working with a group of kids, and I thought they were excellent." And um, and then I went and observed somebody else and they weren't so great. And I thought, oh, well, wouldn't it be great if the second teacher could be, you know, learning from the first teacher? And, you know, as I said, often that's a kind of unwitting admission that actually they are looking at the individuals rather than the bigger picture. Um, and I think that's when we kind of move into the territory of, of, of what the purpose is uh, behind learning walks and, um, and what the experiences are um, of, of of staff being observed, and and I think there's lots of evidence of um, of these particular models of observation provoking feelings of anxiety, um, even fear in some teachers, you know, and and that's despite these assurances that are given by the senior leadership team that it's not an assessment, you know, that it's focused on monitoring the students' learning, which again I think is a is a bit of a falsehood, uh, because if it was about that, then I think you could argue logically there's absolutely no place for making a comment about somebody's performance, i.e. the teacher yeah. in the classroom. Um, and as I said at the beginning, we, we, we know that they've evolved in, in, in recent years um, uh, as a result of, of um, 
you know, Ofsted's move to um, no notice inspections. And, and again, the, this kind of thematic focus linked to curriculum, pedagogy priorities has also come from that because very often what you, what you tend to see in a lot of schools and colleges are the same is that they'll use, um, uh, it could be the recent Ofsted inspection, it could be an internal review uh, exercise where they've identified a set of priorities and, and themes that they, they want to improve. And then they will just go in and adopt a blanket-like approach uh, to observing all classes through that particular lens. And um, I think the, the key, this, and this is the last point I'm going to make, Libby, about the, um, the learning walks at the moment, and that is that this is the real, this is the real weakness for me. Um, from a procedural and methodological perspective, um, I think the practice of learning walks is absolutely riddled with validity and reliability flaws. Mm. So they're meant to be, so that these visits, they're meant to be short. As we said, typically about 10, 15 minutes. Now, the first question you've got to ask yourself is, what on earth can you observe that would be of any value to anybody in such a short space of time, other than the superficial, other than the kind of the transparent, superficial level of detail. Uh, that's even before you then start to think about things like observer subjectivity and the, the, the notion of, um, of seeing classrooms as, as, um, as complex, um, you know, really kind of intricate um, encounters is kind of thrown out the window really with, 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 a, with an approach like learning walks because it, it reduces it down to the lowest com common denominator in some ways. Um, and well, I think you... that... Sorry, you're, you're in your flow of interrupting No, I was just going to say you. that Carry on, you, there's, 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 I mean, I, I think that, that there is a kind of crude reductive um, practice to, to learning walks. Uh, and more importantly, there's no evidence within <laughs> education research that they actually lead to an improvement in either teaching or learning. Very interesting. What if what if you're doing unannounced learning walks, and that's that because you've got rid of um, observations that system. And the point is, is that you do enough learning walks to to gauge a typicality within the lesson. So, what if mm. you're doing you're doing it, you know, lots of times throughout a week? Um, so your your argument is is not just ten fifteen minutes, but you know, throughout a mm. week, you know, you've you've seen enough to to be able to you know have an informed opinion or information to be able to aid the teaching and learning I suppose what happens there or would you still say it doesn't have much of an impact on the teaching and learning I think you're kind of um you're you're throwing some a different kind of um scenario and approach into into, into the 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 discussion I think there there's, for me. there's a mutation there as well then isn't yes. there with the learning walk thing isn't there gone I think I think there is because um you know when I think um and I'm, I'm, I'm sure we all have the, the, the these kind of um role models and, and individuals in our mind when we when, when we're thinking about um these kind of things but you know I I think about um really uh inspirational um very influential uh um head teachers for example within the primary well, I'm, I'm thinking of primary schools now in this context, yeah. purely because of the, the size and the manageability, et cetera. 
Um, so when when I think of 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 people that that you know that I have in my mind as, as having left a big impression on me, um, one of the things which which defined many of them was that they they knew their school inside out. They to the extent where they knew the names of all of the pupils in that school, which seems like a pretty ludicrous thing to say now. But I'm talking about schools that had, you know, 400, 500 kids in, you know, a, 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 a kind of what you might class as a kind of medium to kind of large primary school, perhaps. Um, but the head teachers knew all the staff very well, knew all the, the, knew all the pupils really well. And learning walks was something that they did even before they were even, they, the term even existed. So the point that I'm making there, which is, is, is kind of coming, connecting back to your point, Libby, is that for me, good, effective leaders do this kind of thing on a daily basis. It's yeah. part and parcel of their roles. And this is one of the, the I mean, I remember I wrote a paper a number of years ago where um, one of the things which I said in there was, was about, I was trying to, I was trying to sort of, um, uh, interrogate and, and sort of um, critically analyze the, the whole practice of, of isolated graded observations. And, I, and, you know, I made the point about saying that if any school or college has to rely on, 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 on an isolated annual observation or two or three observations of a member of staff in order to make a judgment about their competence, about their capabilities and about their expertise, then there's something seriously wrong with the leadership of that college or school because you should not have to resort to these one-off events you know that that equate to a couple of hours a year in order to have a, a detailed understanding about your staff if you're not engaging with them in conversations as part of meetings in the staff room talking about sort of curriculum on an ongoing basis and you don't have a picture already then actually there's something quite worrying about how you're investing your time and what how you see your role as a senior leader and i think that 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 for me is is um you know it, it it's something which connects to this discussion about learning walks that um rather than see it as some sort of um ceremonial act whereby oh i'm coming in to visit your your class those schools where there's a culture where there's an open culture a culture of collaboration this this is it's it's almost a non-issue for, for for members of staff they see that as being part and parcel of the culture of that school and yeah. i think that's the kind of that that's the point whereby if we're able to move to that 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 stage whereby there isn't that kind of anxiety that guardedness that people and understandably people feel that and they have absolutely every right to feel that given the baggage that is often associated with observation i think if we can move away from that and move nearer towards this 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 idea of of a, of a culture of openness of collaboration of, of collegiality, that's where things like learning walks, the way in which people perceive them, can start to change. So, if if you've if you've created this this school culture where learning walks, you know, literally like you've just said, um, that somebody does need to go on capability at some point mm. what what happens there because if you don't have if it's all based around unannounced learning walks I, I like can you just talk me through a little bit on that mm. yeah I mean I think I'm gonna give you a rest in a minute I'm gonna play an advert but no, I'm, that's I'm fine that's fine one of, yeah. 
one of the things that I'm really clear about as well is that for me, there's no, I mean, there's no, um, there's, there's no shying away from having difficult conversations with staff that are underperforming. And yeah. actually this, I'm really glad that you've asked that question because I know it would be something that, you know, people would have in, in the mind. And it's, it's conversations that I've had with senior leaders, you know, over several years. And that is that um, that particular approach that I was talking about to leadership and, and the way in which you develop an understanding of the, um, of the things that your, 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 your staff are doing on a daily basis, that comes as no surprise. So, for example, if you get a complaint from uh, – it could be a complaint from a, you know, several parents, it could be a complaint from other colleagues – if you know your staff, if you built a relationship with them, those things don't come as a surprise. And actually, there are there are very formal procedures in most schools and colleges in place already to deal with those things. And rightly so, you know. I mean, I don't, I don't think anybody um, uh, should should avoid um, having to deal with um, you know staff who are underperforming, who are for whatever reasons. Um, uh, not committed or, or, or not um, conscientious and, 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 and just don't seem to be uh, interested in improving, for example. I think one of the things which, again, is, is for me, it has to be a core principle for, for teachers is that by being recognised as a professional, you have a responsibility and a duty to want to and to need to improve yourself continuously and I think you know we, we can we can we can all think of, of of colleagues who um let's say they may have reached a point in their career whereby they're they're, they're kind of indifferent or they've lost interest and I think they can be the, those can be the very difficult um uh members of staff to to, to to have to deal with but it's important to to remind ourselves that actually Every single one of them, whether it's somebody at the start of their career or towards the end of their career, they're in a privileged position. They're in a very privileged and powerful position, and they have a responsibility to the students that they're, they're teaching, whether they're children in a primary school or adults in a university. And I think that um, the, 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 the role of observation in identifying um, people who are underperforming um, is limited. It can it can help, but again, I think this is one of the problems that we had in the past about the over reliance on the use of observation because it can go two ways. And I've seen lots of examples of this where you have people, and we talked about it earlier, just rolling out the showcase lesson. They know exactly what to do, what boxes to tick in order to hit an outstanding or a good whatever whatever particular um, judgment they're, they're 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 interested in. But equally, we have incredibly conscientious. Um, competent and 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 committed teachers who, um, for whatever reasons, and, and often it can be personal factors. It can be to do with anxiety. It can um can you know it can be to do with uh, the 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 Hawthorne effect. You know all those kind of things. Um, they don't end up showing their real selves during a performance management based observation. Um, but most uh, I would say most reasonable. Um, observers um, that I've dealt with throughout the years when they're faced with those situations would recognize that and say, do you know what? I recognize that wasn't you as, as, as I know you. Yeah. 
Maybe I'll come back in 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 in, in a week's time or two weeks' time, yeah. and we'll have a conversation about this in between. You know, and if there's anything going on, and tip it, and and again, because we, we often forget this, we're dealing with real people, real human beings. Yeah. Usually, there's a backstory. You know, there is a backstory to this. You can't. You, we all have bad lessons every now and again, don't we? You know, that's just reality. Absolutely. And it's the, um, yeah. the, un, the unpredictability of teaching and the joy of teaching. You know that you, you can you can come out on a high from one class and you think, yes, I've absolutely smashed that. And then you can go and do that same lesson with another group a week later, and it falls flat on its face. You know, and that is and that's the 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 the, the reality of the complexity of of, of teaching but equally the fallibility of human beings. And I think it's important in situations like that to try and get to the bottom of what's going on. If you end up in a situation whereby, and, I've, and again, I've had, I've had lots of conversations with middle and senior managers about this, you get to a, a situation whereby there's nothing coming back. There's no desire, no motivation to want to improve. Then I think you have to have a very, very difficult conversation with that person. Yeah. And I think going going back to your, your point, it's knowing your staff and as, as SLT or the head teacher, that's, you know, that's that's absolutely your role, isn't it? Is to know the people who are in the classrooms and, you know, you know what's normal, what's not normal. And then you ask those questions to, to, to understand underneath. Um, so we're Definitely. just going to play an advert. So you can have a, a glass yep. of water, um, okay, and then when, <laughs> that's all right. Do really well when um, when you come back. I'm just going to pick up Emily's question, which she's just texted in. So she said, "Tips for observing people that are very resistant to observation." So have a think on that whilst I'm playing the advert. Okay. Okay, great. Need, su need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DFE validated programs to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics. Floppy's Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use, and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, Visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Okay, right. So if you just joined us uh, this evening, or if uh, if you're if you're listening, uh, obviously we're having some absolutely fantastic conversations with Matt this evening about lesson observations, and we've just spent a bit of time talking about the learning walk system and the unannounced learning walks. And thank you, Emma. So she's texted and said, "I think learning walks, as Matt is describing them, are very valuable when a school is trying to build consistency on certain key observation, or sorry, observable non-negotiables, e.g., silence." do it now Emma I think we work in the same we don't but um, that's exactly something that uh, I'm focusing on on mine as well and I absolutely agree it's a really good way to to um, sort of with those non-negotiables that are part of your school culture part of your school sort of teaching and learning system etc to quality assure what's going on within within that part and I think that's absolutely fine and there's a really good place for them um so we're just going to bring Matt back into the conversation um so Emily has texted in and said tips for observing people that are very resistant to observations do you have any advice for Emily okay so um Honesty and transparency is the first thing that jumps out at me. Um, when I when when I um 
when I first thought about that question, I thought to myself, what, this kind of reminded me of, of um, it was about six years ago I, when, when I started working at Birmingham City University and, and I introduced a new um, peer observation scheme. And um, one of the things which um, we, myself and a couple of colleagues, we, we, um, we, we designed a training program which lasts a whole day and it's an immersive program. It, it involves... Um, uh, staff uh, looking at video um, excerpts of lessons and and we get them to do some coaching scenarios and the, the whole range of activities anyway we had this really packed schedule which we'd kind of uh, prepared for a day and um, after about two or three sessions we started to get really frustrated because um, in the first couple of hours of the the sessions people were just talking about their past experiences of observation and we were we we say to each other at the end of these couple of the first couple of sessions, what the hell is the matter with these people? We want them to get involved in the training, and all they want to do is talk about their past experiences. And it wasn't until the third um, uh, training session, and this continued, that we realised how significant that was, and and what it what what it uh, it did for us. It was a it was a real light bulb moment because it it then forced us to. Um, embed this into the training i.e to allow people time to offload their baggage about observation because typically people and, and, and bear in mind i work in a faculty uh the, the, a very big faculty which contains people from education as well as health and um the health people not so much baggage as education people probably unsurprisingly um, but you need to allow if you're if you're trying to implement, for example, a new system, a new approach to something, mm. you need to allow space and time for people to offload, to divest themselves of those negative uh, and anxious experiences that they've had with observation before. So if in the case of, you know, the, this teacher or teachers that, that uh, Amy's th thinking of, um, I would say that the starting point is to have a very um, open uh, and honest conversation with them. Give them a chance to talk about their 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 anxieties, their their you know their what what they're feeling, why are they feeling the way they're feeling, um, and to reassure them about what the purpose is that you're doing. Because again, one of the things which I think has has created a lot of tension with observation is is a um, is that lack of transparency between what you're purporting to do, i.e., what the the underpinning objectives are to your use of observation and what actually happens in practice and you know this is a typical example of this where people say oh the focus is on developmental being supportive and then when it comes to the outcome it's your typical subjective assessment and you think hold on a minute well the, the, these two just don't add up at all and so I think that's that's absolutely fundamental if you are if you do have to um, carry out an assessment based observation because that's the the policy that's that's being adopted in your in your institution, then don't try and disguise that. Be very clear about what the criteria are, uh, what the priority areas, for example, that you'll be focusing on, how best that person um, could prepare, um, and if they've got any needs. Because I think this is another thing which I, never ceases to amaze me. You know, we can have people who have you know. A bit like myself, that I've you know 20, 20, over twenty five years experience of teaching. There's still stuff which, you know, is I I desperately need support with that people entering the profession now might take for granted, and so um, having that, what I would say is that the the 
the starting point would be for Emily to to organise um, uh, an informal uh, conversation um, over a cup of tea, cup of coffee with that colleague, and to talk through and to give them a, a chance to offload. Lovely. Is, does that help you out, Emily? It's a really good advice there, I think. And uh, and actually, for me as well, because we, I've come across exactly the same um, situation, and it's it's sort of winning them over, isn't it? And then it's and then mm. it's being really clear with the purpose behind it, and and not making it like you say, it's not a judgment. It's not you know perhaps they've had a bad experience in the past, and they need to, they need to talk it through. Um, so just just a question for you. So you mention um, observation. In fact, I'm going to ask a question pre to this. I'm just aware we've got about 12, 15 minutes left. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, hang on. Emily Emily says, um, said, tips on relaying negative feedback. Gone. Um, what's your tips then when you have to um, highlight some negativities in, in what you've just seen? Right. Okay. I think you need it's to. A great question, and this, Emily. It is a good question. You're absolutely right. I think you need, again, you need to establish what it is you're going to be looking for. Um, uh, from the outset so that there are no surprises. So, you've got, I mean, this is, uh, this is a major source of tension when it comes to ob- observer subjectivity um, because as an observer, regardless of the uh, – and, 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 again, this, this is a – I guess this is a little bit of a bugbear of mine that it, it doesn't matter how intricate you make the instrument – uh, and by the instrument, I'm referring to things like a form with accompanying criteria and indicators and exemplars, etc. It doesn't matter how intricate you make that. It's very, very difficult to um, discount the overriding influence of the subjectivity of the observer. And I think you need to be um, you, ne- you need to be very open about that. So if you if you're going into a session looking for particular things you need to share that with with the person that you're observing so that they're clear on what they're being judged on if you are using a set of criteria again that's got to be shared with the person beforehand so they know if there's some sort of um uh evaluative um categorization of that um i mean this you know people say they don't use numbers anymore but often it's kind of, you know, that classic arose by any other name. They'll use descriptive terms yeah. like, you know, excellent and great and innovative. Or they'll, and, they'll rag rate it, won't they? Exactly, exactly. And, and I think that's something which, you know, is, is a, it's a constant source of, um, of, of sort of, uh, of disquiet to, to staff because they think, oh, okay, well, which, which one am I going to fall into? Um, and it can be a bit of a lottery according to who they get sometimes because again we come back to this issue of observer subjectivity um i think if um if you're if you're dealing with somebody um whereby you've got a you've you've compiled a list of feedback and it's very difficult for for you to kind of identify positives or many positives from that um then i think the starting point is to give them to give them an opportunity to self-evaluate, uh, and then, if you're if they're worlds apart, then um, I think you know the the, the way forward is, is to uh, to start to to start to identify priorities because um, it may be that you've got multiple 
uh, bits of negative feedback, and and it and it's it's kind of counterproductive. It doesn't matter whether whether you think that's accurate, whether you've got seven or eight points that are that are fairly negative. Um, that that's not going to be productive for that person. If your intention, which I'm guessing it is, your intention is to help them do something about it and to improve, you have to make a decision about what you're going to prioritize. So if for, if for you, for example, you've identified, I don't know, classroom management and use of questioning as the two, co- the two top priorities, put the other stuff to one side for the time being and just concentrate on those two. Okay. Um, what what's um, thinking about feedback? Obviously, because Emily's brought it up. So, um, I think when when you're training, when you're a skit training or you're a trainee teacher, I know that the common practice is to ask that trainee teacher what was your what was your opinion of the lesson, and then they they take mm. them through their opinion. But as as you become a developed sort of teacher, that I've been told that's not how you open up the feedback conversation anymore and Mm. that you shouldn't Mm. get them to say their opinion first before you you know you you give your feedback what's your opinion on on that then well again I mean I think I would go back to the point about the purpose the underpinning purpose of the particular model of observation that that you're using so um I mean you know I I am kind of naturally kind of critical of of assessment-based models so I would switch the focus onto, you know, what I, I refer to as developmental collegial models of observation. And mm. um, one of the things that you avoid um, in in following that type of model of observation is it isn't feedback that you're giving at all. Actually, you're engaging in in a um, in a a collegial conversation which can include challenging encounters. So the role of the observer under it, what I refer to as a developmental model of observation, is one whereby they keep a, um, a log of events, if you like, throughout a class. It's like a, some people refer to it as a stream of consciousness, um, a sort of a, a, a record of, of the, the events that, that are happening. And if I think about my own institution and the model of peer observation that we introduced, so the typical model, that, the typical um, approach to feedback that's used is, is split into two columns. So the one column is is just literally a running log of events. So it could be um, uh, task one, uh, group split into groups of um, th- fours and fives, um, given a case study uh, to discuss within their groups and talk about the um, you know the, the the pros and the cons of this particular case study, and then report back to the wider group. Um, and then the second column is what we refer to as um, uh, challenging reflective questions. Um, So the observer, the role of the observer there is to to compile a set of questions which they then would look to follow up in the, um, what people traditionally refer to as a feedback uh, discussion. We talk about it as being the the post-observation discussion. And so, for example, that, that, that example I gave about task one, one of the questions may be, um, we noticed that one person in, that, in, in, in two of the groups at the front was dominating that conversation, and the three or four other members in that group were having very little um, interaction and involvement in the whole conversation. What, 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 did you notice this? Or what, if so, what was your thinking about this? So what you're doing with that particular approach, it's, it's quite, um, for those people that are familiar with, um, with the field of coaching, um, it, it's, it's, quite, um, it's, it's a quite familiar 
uh, approach to um, engaging in, 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 in professional dialogue. What you're doing is you're opening up conversations rather than closing them down because by presenting people with a set of statements, you're not really opening up a conversation, to be honest. What you're yeah. doing is you're, you're having a monologue. You're saying, this is my thoughts. And um, whereas th this approach, by, by asking questions, by having um, statements that are just purely factual statements, um, then, one, they act as, as, a, as a sort of non-judgmental trigger for the conversation. But, two, they're also a very helpful me aid memoir because another thing that we've done in, in our approach is that we will typically – I mean, in some instances, some staff will use um, uh, apps where they can take pictures of what's happening. So they might take a picture of, of, of a task sheet and say, so this was the sheet that the, 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 they were given in groups there. What was you thinking with, 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 with all of the instructions that you put on here and, and, and what it was you wanted to, them to achieve from this group task? And then just leave it open. And then the emphasis is immediately placed onto the person being observed. That's really useful, uh, really useful um, information there, especially for, um, well, like, as I said at the beginning of my introduction, obviously, for me, this is absolutely brilliant, because it's just opening my mind to um, what's out there and the research behind it, just to back up some of the, some of the systems and things that I need to develop a little bit further. Um, so somebody's just texted in, I think it's Afayo, said, how does Matt feel about observations by non-specialist teachers or even staff who do not teach at all and never have? Research? Um, question mark. <laughs> Oh, right. Okay. Well, the one about staff not teaching or never teaching at all, I don't think it's particularly helpful. Um, the, I've done a lot, of, a lot of the research that I've done has been within further education uh, field. And um, I, did a, I did a very large study back in 2012 and 13, which I know I've written about in, in, in my second book. And that's... Um, and that, 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 that included a, 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 about 4,000, just over 4,000 um, uh, members working in further education. And this came out as a really strong theme because typically in, in, in further education, um, they're much bigger institutions. Senior, the senior, what they call senior management is what people refer to as senior leadership in schools. It's not uncommon for many of those senior managers to come from a non-teaching background, non-education background. They may come from business, they may come from finance. Um, and it, it's, it, it, I don't think it's, it's, it's productive for anybody, really, for somebody without an understanding of the field uh, to be observing. Um, so, because for a start, I mean, uh, the, the act of observation is an incredibly um, difficult and challenging Act and I think we we take for granted that it's somehow somehow some kind of instinct. It isn't actually one of the things that we do in our training as part of our staff training for our observation program is we have this this exercise where we immerse people in. We show them a, a fifteen minute clip of, of a session. And we say, okay, you've got a blank piece of paper, write notes, and we do that deliberately because it, it's um it's it, it's a kind of um pulling people out of their comfort zone exercise because they're looking around thinking, well, what do I write? We were deliberately haven't given them any assessment criteria because that's not the purpose. Secondly, we want to get an insight into what they're noticing. And that's a really, really interesting, for me, that's an interesting field in observation. Why do we notice what we notice? And why do we 
home in on something within a lesson as opposed to something else that's going on in another part of the, the classroom. Um, but the, um, the, the question about um, do there have to be subject specialists? Again, I don't want to sound like an old broken record here, but it depends on the purpose. Um, you can have observations that are subject specific um, in terms of the, the particular focus. So it may be that you're uh, interested in, in um, looking uh, particularly at the, the way in which a, um, a new resource within a, a, a certain subject area is engaged with by staff um, or a new area of the curriculum, how, how staff are dealing with it. Could be what an area that's, that's proved particularly problematic um, up, up to this point. So in that case, I think, like anything, you need, you need somebody who understands the subject in order to be able to have valuable, meaningful conversations about what you see. Um, but then equally, if you're looking at more generic um, aspects of, of pedagogy, um, and that's agreed beforehand, and I think this is the important thing, that it's, it's, the focus has to be agreed. And this is another um, key point that I emphasize in, in, in my philosophy of developmental observations that the the focus has to be established beforehand by both the person being observed and the person observing them yeah. and ideally by the person being observed um and i think um if if you have got kind of generic stuff about pedagogy well that's possible because we see this um quite frequently on uh, initial teacher training professional development uh, type observations where we have staff who are used to observing lots of different subject areas um, and um, and so have an understanding of, 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 of wider issues of pedagogy. Okay, they may not be able to uh, give you um, kind of detailed insight to your particular subject area, but if you've agreed beforehand that that's not the focus, that it's more generic pedagogic issues, then it's, I think it is it is possible for that to be valuable. Absolutely. And we've had some absolutely fantastic questions uh, this evening from from obviously the, the live audience as well. So thank you so much for everybody for your for your messages this evening. I think it makes it makes a show stand out a little bit when you've got live interaction with people. And um, I think we're going to we're going to take it to a close there, Matt. Um, I've, I haven't asked you half of the questions that I needed to or <laughs> wanted to, but that's the way that's the way it goes. And we've had an absolutely brilliant uh, conversation this evening. Um, thank you so much for your time and uh, and for just illuminating everything to do with um, lesson observation. I mean, we haven't even started to talk about teaching and learning aspect to it, really, have we? <laughs> um, maybe no. we'll maybe we'll do a, a follow up show if you're interested um, after Easter or something like that. That'd be absolutely brilliant if you could do that. Yeah, why not? Yeah, that'd be good. I'd be I'd be very happy to. Yeah, really that, enjoyed well, it, and, and I really enjoyed the questions from very very, very challenging, very. Um, very helpful questions from everybody because you know I can I can I can I can see where these these questions are coming from. It's people what people are having to to deal with in their in their everyday workplaces. So I really appreciate people Absolutely. taking the time to ask those questions. Oh, thank you so much, um, and thank you so much for answering them. And uh, and sometimes when you get given a question live as well, and you haven't had time to even think about it, it's uh, it can be quite difficult, especially 
if we're going through a flow of my questions and then obviously we stop and we start and we we jump in. So I think it's been absolutely wonderful to have you on and I've definitely learned so much this evening. Um, and I don't know if you noticed, I was like scribbling notes as you were writing and certain, talking certain things and nodding my head <laughs> furiously because I, I absolutely agree with uh, a lot of what you're saying. So thank you again. Oh, that's very kind of you. Thanks for the invitation, Libby. More, more than welcome. That's all right. Have a wonderful <laughs> evening. Okay, you too. Bye now. Okay. Bye, everybody. Bye. Bye-bye, Bye. Matt. Oh, what, what a great guess that was. Um, my mind is not blown because it's, it's something that I'm massively interested in, but it's so, so useful having um, an expert like that to talk through some of the things that, as he says, we experience day in, day out with some of those those questions that you pose for Matt. That was absolutely brilliant. And it's just another example of how Teachers Talk Radio is just massive amount of free CPD. And I think it's, it's an amazing, amazing part. Um, I'm just going to go to an advert. And when I come back, I'm going to talk about um, Rick, who's up next, and then obviously my guest for next week as well. Need support with your phonics teaching? Did you know Oxford University Press now has three DfE-validated programmes to help you? Read Write Ink Phonics, Floppies Phonics, and the brand new Essential Letters and Sounds. Essential Letters and Sounds will get all your children reading well, quickly, using phonics books you may already have in your classroom. Developed by the Knowledge Schools Trust English Hub, it's affordable, easy to use and makes teaching phonics with letters and sounds more effective. Whatever your school's phonics needs, Oxford has the solution. To find out more and receive support from your expert local educational consultant, visit oxfordprimary.com forward slash phonics. Fantastic. Um, and again, thank you, everybody, for um, your comments this evening. Um, and I would absolutely love to get Matt back on after Easter, perhaps, um, to do a bit of a show about teaching and learning. And if Emily, Emily, Anne, because I know that you were, you were into the conversation tonight, if you wanted to collaborate and do something um, all together on that, that, that would be uh, an interesting take for Teachers Talk Radio. So, uh, so connect to me if that's if that's what you think. Yes, that would be ace. Yes, I think so. Um, so next week um, on my show, I have got Mary Bid. Um, I'm actually massively nervous about it because she's just an icon for me, um, but incredibly excited and honoured to have her on. So again, if you're listening and uh, you want to ask a question, if you want to, you know, DM me, whatever, please, please, please. Let's get the questions in there and, and tune in for her because she, if you know anything or much about her, I think she's an absolutely wonderful character to have on. And she's classic. So if you're a historian out there and you want to talk classics with Mary Beard next week, then please tune in for that. Um, again, thank you so much for listening. I think it makes for a live show when you get a bit of interaction from the audience. Um, next up, I believe it's Rick, who's on the Late Late Show. I don't know how he does that. Like, I don't know if you heard in the background, but my one-year-old is definitely screaming. Don't worry, he's not on his own. My husband is with him. Um, I hope that didn't pick up on the show. Uh, we're going through a bit of an 18-month regression in my house. Um, but have a wonderful evening, um, and I absolutely Absolutely cannot wait for next week and I hope you tune in too. Good night. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.